Welcome to the Literacy Bug Podcast. Today's episode is entitled An Overview of Literacy Development. It is a special episode because the audio is actually taken from a recent video presentation that we've added to YouTube. So we invite you to explore the following audio, but understand that there will be visuals referenced that are part of that video presentation. So we also invite you to go find us on YouTube. Search for the Literacy Bug and find that recent presentation and overview of literacy development. And so it's a recent experiment in using YouTube as part of the literacy bug. So we'll let you know as more and more presentations are added to that medium. Without further ado, I invite you to sit back and listen to an overview of literacy development. Welcome to the Literacy Bug presentation entitled An Overview of Literacy Development. The objectives of this presentation are to explore the components of literacy development, including oral language development, phonemic awareness, fluency, and more, to explore the stages of literacy development, including those that occur across the lifespan, to understand the difference between code-based skills and meaning-based skills, to understand the four levels of processing texts or reading comprehension, and to appreciate how learners are active participants as meaning makers, knowledge constructors, sharers of ideas, and members of literate communities. And we want to keep certain questions in the forefront of our mind, both during the presentation and beyond. What does it really mean to be literate? Does it mean something different at different points in time? And how are the skills of literacy consolidated? How do we take these component skills and integrate them into literate practice so that it's fluent? And so through literacy, we can seamlessly communicate and share ideas and learn as well. Now, before I start ahead, the slides are available for download at theliteracybug.com. On the screen is the link. Let's start with an introduction, part one of five. So if you ask someone on the street, what does it mean to be literate? Someone said, well, you can read lots of books and you're, you're a good writer. And I said, well, what, what do you have to learn to be literate? Well, you have, to, you have to learn your letters, which is an important feature. And you have to combine those letters into, into words, which is also very important. And those words get combined into sentences, and those sentences form texts. And those texts can be poems and reports and descriptions, personal narratives, recipes, and the like. And those texts also, in, in today's day and age, include other elements, such as graphs and tables and illustrations. And those also add meaning to a text, and these are things that we also read. Now, someone who's quite savvy might say, well, even before letters, you learn sounds. You learn that you, in words that we know, there are sounds. And you match those sounds with letters, and so on. So for a word like spoon, you know that there's four sounds in that, that word. S, P, U, N. And you rehearse that in your head and go, okay, what, how do I spell that? Based on the fact that I know that those are the sounds in that word. And consequently, that person might say, well, also you need lots of practice. You don't learn to read and write overnight, but you need to write lots 
and read lots and practice your spelling to become better. You need lots of practice. And you also need a teacher whose role it is to arrange tasks and activities to make current skills and more advanced skills more accessible. And that's your role, is to lay out activities that allow the learner to extend what they can achieve. And those are activities in two different areas. One are activities in core constrained skills of literacy, so someone can develop those skills towards mastery. And I'll define the term constrained skills on the next slide whilst at the same time providing opportunities for students to gain and express meaning in multiple ways. On one hand, yes, through reading and writing, but also through discussion, speaking and listening, and through being able to use visual literacy, view texts and explore their meaning, and to represent their ideas both in print and in the written word, but also in different ways, through diagrams or images, etc. And so one, whilst one level is a teacher needs to be systematic and linear and clear about developing those constrained skills and to track one's progress. But that same teacher also needs to be creative and inspirational to provide those opportunities to be able to use language and literacy in engaging and motivated ways. And so constrained skills are are certain skills that we expect learners to develop in the first three grades of school starting in the preschool years. They learn to write their name, and they learn to recognize letters, and they can shape those letters. And they've got a concept of what a word is in their oral language. And they develop phonological and phonemic awareness. And what that means is they can understand the parts of words, or hear them, so they can understand that a word is broken up into syllables. And then they can go more fine-tuned to the individual sounds, within words like my example for spoon at the start of the presentation. And then once they know how to fully segment words, they apply letters to those words. So their letter sound knowledge starts to develop, or more accurately, they start to distinguish sounds and apply letters to sounds. And they identify words. They got a concept of what a word is in print. And they become flexible at both segmentation of phonemes pulling words apart, but also blending phonemes to form words. And they recognize words, they develop their phonics knowledge, and their knowledge of English orthography, as well as morphology. And then outside of the word context, they become aware of grammatical structures, and they can command uh, increasing complexity of grammatical structures or sentence structures. And they put that all together to become more fluent. They can read words in isolation automatically and quickly through their uh, development of skills, and they can read sentences uh, quickly and rapidly, uh, particularly if they are based around familiar language. And so they become accurate with their fluency at a good rate and with proper expression or prosody. Now, meanwhile, and also beyond, we develop unconstrained skills, and these are skills that we develop throughout our lifespan including vocabulary, oral language skills, writing and compositional skills, reading comprehension of increasing depth, various types of knowledge, critical thinking skills, problem-solving skills, as well as developing interests and motivations and attitudes. And so this means that we need 
practice that is both intensive, looking inwards at language and literacy, as well as extensive, which is using literacy and language to look at the outside world. So I need to practice and understand how language and literacy works, and that's intensive practice, but also I need lots of practice to be able to use that tool to explore ideas, explore content, as well as share those ideas and content. And so the following is an example of a lesson sequence that combines both. So in this case, this lesson sequence has two aspects at the beginning that focus on intensive skills, so a fluency practice by rereading a familiar text, so one can focus upon the expressiveness of that familiar text, as well as close word study, in this case a phonics pattern word study to understand how that phonics pattern works in new as well as familiar words, and that word study would over time develop of increasing complexity and diversity. And that intensive block could include also a grammatical investigation looking at particular features of English expression. And beyond that, we go to our extensive practice. So this is a comprehension section. We have a text about dolphins here. And the teacher says, well, let's build our, our background knowledge and activate. What do we already know about dolphins? Look at text features to draw predictions. So looking at headings and images to discuss what's happening in the text, what the text might be about. Preview, previewing key vocabulary that might um, surface during the reading, but to cover it before reading. Um, to understand what that vocabulary means. And during the reading, engaging in rich question and answers, students answering questions, but also generating questions, and having opportunities for discussion. And then after that process, exploring the main idea of the text and isolating essential details as preparation for a written response, which in this case uses some form of visual literacy to design a poster. So combining that intensive practice to understand more about language and literacy, whilst at the same time learning through literacy and language. And it's important to, in that process, use texts that are accessible. That That a student can benefit from, that they can access, and they can use their skills to, and apply their skills to read. Whether it's independently, which requires greater amount of, of understanding or in an instructional context with the support of a teacher or tutor. So selection of text is really important because even if you have a teacher or tutor, if it's outside of one's instructional level and in their frustration level, meaning 10% of the words aren't recognizable in the chi- and the child can't use their orthographic and decoding skills to pronounce them accurately, it becomes frustrating and confusing and they're not gaining any meaning from it because their mind is so focused upon trying to decode uh, words that are outside of their zone of proximal development, that it becomes a mess. And that includes also comprehension that below, is below 50%. If I'm constantly unsure about vocabulary in the text and it's making reference to things that are not part of my background knowledge, I have nothing to hang my comprehension on. So we need to be really careful about the types of text kids read from both a motivational factor as well as how much kids are actually benefiting from the practice. And so that's where I see 
teaching and learning more like a spiral than a funnel. Like a funnel is we sort of throw into the child's head lots of knowledge and expect them to process it on their own um, and regurgitate that at some later stage. Whereas a funnel is this concept of a bit of practice, consolidating a certain amount of knowledge, and then revisiting that and expanding and increasing the complexity but building certain habits of the mind. And then once that increased complexity is sort of mastered, presenting some even further demands. And each return into that cycle is reinforcing core habits of the mind, but allowing the learner to apply it in a more sophisticated manner. Here's a perfect example would be either spelling or writing skills and practice or reading fluency, it's that shaping of a learner's um, abilities over time, almost like kneading dough or shaping a clay pot. It's being very careful how one shapes that learning. And so here we have a bit of a mantra about a teaching plan. In evidence-based practice, we want to start with a student profile. What do we already know about the student? What can they accomplish? What are they currently developing? What, are they, what is it being expected of them? at that time and stage? And how do we set appropriate language, literacy, and numeracy and learning goals? How do we gather together a plan of activities and content? And how do we plan that based around our understanding of the available teaching space and time and resources? Let's set an appropriate learning sequence that we know will be beneficial for that learner. And we conduct our lessons, we reflect regularly, at progress, and we monitor that progress and adapt our teaching accordingly. And then we reflect upon that development on a periodic basis so we can update the learner's profile and also update what our goals and teaching aspirations are for that learner. Because the key thing is that student is a novice continually attempting to make sense of new situations, new topic areas, new vocabulary, uh, new writing situations, new audiences. And they need to acquire the skills to function in those situations. And so my role as a teacher is to arrange tasks and activities to make those new situations and those, those requisite skills more accessible. Breaking down tasks into the component parts so they can learn how to engage in an informed manner so I can initiate the learner into how to approach that new situation how, and initiate and learner into the skills that are required to approach that situation, whether that's a certain approach to reading comprehension by initiating the learner into the types of questions we ask when we're reading in a historical manner or breaking up the key aspects of a short story from a writer's point of view and initiating the learner into the art of short fiction. And I usually sort of use the metaphor here of teaching someone to dance. I'm personally a poor dancer, but if I watch a dance and I'm not initiated, I just see a variety of steps, but I don't know that there's parts to that routine. Now, someone who's a dancer might say, well, let's practice a section at a time. And as we practice each section, I'll expand that section into further steps. And as you get your, your, your head around each individual, each part, we'll integrate it 
and then you can see the dance as a whole. And that's where my aha moment comes into it, because I suddenly see the logic and the pattern to something I didn't see beforehand. And through the gradual development and scaffolding of a teacher, I suddenly can do and access something that was prohibitive before. And in every type of learning, it's a type of metaphor to keep in the forefront of our minds. Because the more we do things, the better. There are important dynamics here is the more children are spoken to and speak themselves, the more they are initiated into the language and into using language, into asking questions, exploring new ideas. The more children are read to in a dialogic manner, the more they come to understand the language around them and the ideas in books and they know what questions to ask, ask and their language becomes more developed. The more children write and for write for a range of purposes, the more they explore words, the more that they explore knowledge and ask questions, the more developed their skills and practices become. And in addition to becoming skilled, the student wants to, needs to be motivated. They need, the people must want to go on alone, taking language to the world and feel that what they have to say is worth saying, and what that they're learning is worth learning. So in addition to becoming a competent teacher and being skilled as a teacher, it's important to realize that teaching must, as it were, undertake to show a reason of speaking, of learning, of reading and writing at all, if it's going to be important and effective. So let's look at part two. I'm going to present a simple view of literacy, looking at the component parts of literacy. So in the simple view of literacy, these two individuals, Hoover and Go, use their statistical analysis of reading success to isolate what are the key skills in early childhood and, in, in, and young learners in primer age that predict successful reading. And what they found were that there are these two key independent correlates. One was language skills. The greater a child's vocabulary, grammatical flexibility, discourse practices, and verbal reasoning, the better they were later on in life in reading comprehension in general. But they also found that one needed code-based competence, needed to be able to fluidly and automatically operate with the English alphabetic principle. And they found that having skills in one area did not necessarily guarantee skills in the other area. So one could be highly skilled and, and, and adept in language, but if hadn't had any early practice in the code, what they would say, the imaging stories that they could share orally, wouldn't translate to the page. And similarly, a learner who had lots of exposure to, let's say, alphabet flashcards and phonics practice, but had a very limited language, they could become accurate with literacy, but their comprehension and composition would become stilted. And so what one needs is strong language, strong code, as well as executive processing to be able to integrate 
and to use their verbal reasoning and, and verbal rehearsal to hold in working memory enough what they want to say and use their code base skills to be able to articulate that on the page. And so code base skills include our basic literacy facts. We know that there's 26 letters in the alphabet, 21 are consonants, 5 are vowels, 6 if you include Y. And then we also understand that there's 44 phonemes or English sounds, give or take one or two. Now there's 25 consonant sounds, which makes it slightly easy because there's almost a one-to-one match between consonants in our language as well as consonant sounds. But there's 19 vowel sounds and only five vowels, which makes it a little bit more problematic and makes English a little bit more challenging. So there's 74 common ways of representing those 44 sounds. So this oo sound can be true or new or shoe or flu. And you have to learn those differences. And at sometimes you don't necessarily learn the rules for the differences. You just need to learn that those are all possible. But for some reason or not another, one is spelled one way or another. And you also sort of realize that every syllable has to have a vowel in it. And sometimes they're closed syllables and open syllables and the like. And so they progressively, in a phonics program across time, become adept at and more confident and fluent at words of different patterns. So in the early years, three to five, these are the years of developing phonemic awareness, being able to hear a word like cat, but break it down into its component phonemes and having a concept of word. But after that, from four to seven, being able to manipulate what is a relatively simple word, which is a consonant vowel consonant, including combinations or consonant blends like the word ship, sh, ip, or bed, b, ed, or plan, pl, a, n. And then later on you learn the silent e rule that changes the short vowel into a long vowel. And then you learn about two vowel combinations that make one sound, like the word bread, br, e, d. And then you learn about multiple syllabic words, adding suffixes to words, prefixes, bases, roots, etc., And that's all through that gradual process of becoming masters of the code. But meanwhile, you're also learning language. You're learning your language, you're learning through language, and you're learning about language, particularly about the grammatical construct of your language. Verb tenses, how to order a sentence, how to manipulate a sentence, um, how to express things informally as well as formally. And those are all part of learning language. And we need to remember that when a child learns language, actually learning the foundations of learning itself. Because when we initiate a learner into a topic, we use language, we use vocabulary, we use concepts. And so we forget that we learn language and the world together. And when a learner learns a language, it learns at the same time what is to be investigated and what not. And that includes various technical languages. That's why vocabulary is so important for comprehension and learning. And Catherine Snow would actually argue that when we focus on rich, engaging, meaningful content and experiences, then language seems to take care of itself. For example, if I have a gardening unit for English language learners, that gardening unit takes care of what language I want to teach, what the vocabulary I need to be in my unit, because it's part 
of the rich vocabulary that I need to use to explain planting, what to plant, what tools to use, etc. The experience itself shapes the vocabulary. And a key component of language is sentences. How do we arrange our words into sentences? And how do, what internal monologue do I have to form a sentence? Okay, so what am I talking about? I'm talking about I. What am I doing? I'm telling you this. Mm, how am I telling you this? Oh, with a sigh. Where? Somewhere. When? Ages and ages hence. Okay, again. What? Two roads. Okay, what about those two roads? They diverged. Where? In a wood. Okay, and what next? And I took the one less traveled by. And why is that important? It's made all the difference. And that internal logic shapes and allows us to expand and form our utterances. Now, one thing to keep in mind is that relationship between language and literacy or language and the code. These insights from the eminent literacy academic Shaw illustrates a few things. You know, by the age of six, a child can understand thousands of words, but read few, if any, of them. By the age of seven years old, they can understand up to 4,000 or more words, but can only read 600. By nine years old, they've got a reading vocabulary of 3,000, which is great, but they also have an oral vocabulary of 9,000 to 10,000 words. And so that's why children's written language may be three years behind their oral language. Because what they can say, they don't have to know how to spell things to say things. But when they turn to write, they have to hold in working memory and process a lot more um, rigorously to get things onto the page than they do in the spoken discourse. It's only when you get to ages 13 that reading and listening are about the same. And it's after that point, particularly on academic material, in fact, one's reading comprehension is better than their listening comprehension because they can actually hold ideas still on the page, whereas when they listen, they're fleeting and they can get lost in the discourse. And so when we look at this kindergarten example, obviously this child who's drawing a map of the body has a lot more language than they can express in print. They write head and potentially skull and private parts and arms and legs and foot and the like. And we're confident that they know these concepts, even if they can't spell them. And that's where teaching and instruction is there to have their print-based skills catch up with their language. And by grade two, they're making substantial progress and also being able to tell the difference between written language and spoken language, that we don't always write how we talk. And so here the components come together. On the language side, that's our meaning processor. We have this vocabulary and the sentence structure base. We make utterances with words in sentences to make meaning, and that occurs within a context. Constantly doing that, telling messages, using our vocabulary and our ability to express those messages. And we need to do that fluently to be ready for literacy. But to be able to extract 
words from print, but also to put words in print, we need on one hand a phonological processor, and we have this feedback loop. So I need to hold in my phonological processor, let's say, a word like spoon, which I've mentioned before. Okay, spoon. I need to break it up into its parts. P, n, spoon. And I need to use my orthographic processor, of my phonics knowledge so far, to be able to say, okay, now I've held that in my mind. How might I spell that based upon my knowledge? Okay, I've spelt that. And then I go back to my meaning. Do I recognize that word? Oh, I do. Spoon. I know what that's about. It's my lexicon. And there's various ways to put that into sentences. And vice versa. I use my orthographic knowledge to break up a word into its component parts and then process it, as I said here. And this is it's represented in this way, both for decoding or encoding, which is downwards, and decoding, which is upwards. I hear a word spoon. It has four parts to it. And I've learned over time that statistically, the S represents S, a significant portion of time, P, more so. U can be represented in a few ways, but I know that spoon is double O. N is represented by N. But if I see just that word spoon, I need to be able to chunk and go, okay, there's four parts to it, that's P, and then the two O's go together, N, and then I learn to read that fluently. And so going back to that simple model of literacy, on one hand, on this right-hand side, we have developing our language. And on the blue side, we have developing our code base skills. So to develop language, we need to become adept at phonology, lexicogrammar, our vocabulary and sentence structure, pragmatics or discourse, how to put that together into texts, whether they're spoken text or later on written texts, and that forms my linguistic knowledge. And linguistic knowledge is combined with actual pr language practices in context with content to shape my language comprehension and expression. I can hear language, I can hear messages, I understand language. Meanwhile, one is developing their phonological and phonemic awareness, which has a close relationship with language. I can break up words into their component parts. I can apply the alphabet principle to match letters to sounds. And I can recognize words quickly and automatically, as well as know the patterns of spelling. So words that I've never seen before, I can problem solve based upon the rules I've learned. And that evolves to my code-based or print-based skills. So combining language skills and print-based skills forms my fluency, both fluency with writing as, flu as well as fluency with reading, which informs my comprehension and writing skills or facilitates my comprehension and writing skills, which facilitates further knowledge and expertise. Now I have these dotted lines here because one can still develop knowledge and expertise through language and discourse with others as well as in one's environment. But as one moves through schooling, a significant portion of our knowledge is gained through reading, and a particular portion of our knowledge is shaped by our writing. So let's look at the levels of processing reading, or levels of reading comprehension. So when we read, we need to decode the text. In addition to decoding the text, we need to make sense of that text. And those are considered inside the text skills. Okay, I can, I, I can decode it, and I can create pictures of what's happening. I can paraphrase it, I can summarize it, 
etc. I've got a clear idea of what's happening. And so that's a skill of being able to learn to read. And then from there, I need to extract meaning from it. I can create a mental model and draw conclusions. Okay, so what, if this is the case, what can I conclude? What ideas are being expressed? And this, a lot of this is happening beyond the text because I'm combining both my background knowledge, my concepts, my discussions with others to exa- extract the significance and the ideas from the text. And then once I extract the ideas and the meaning and the ideas and uh, the purpose and the details of the text, I need to make an assessment of it. Do I agree? Do I disagree? Is it important? How, would I, how do I react or respond to that text? What do I learn? And that's part of the journey of reading to learn, going from becoming accurate to becoming more critical and examining in reading. So a story like The Boy Who Cried Wolf, I ask those four levels. Can the student decode the text? Can they extract the sense, what's happening in the text? Once they extract what's happening in the text, what does it mean? What's the purpose? What are the ideas? And once they've got a clear idea of the ideas, okay, how do we respond? How do we react? Do we agree? Is this a valuable lesson? Would we change anything, etc.? And so this looks at that same process in more detail. Learner needs to be able to attend to the text. And that's not something to sneeze at. He's to be able to disengage from the environment and focus upon the printed word, to decode words, but also to look at those words within the logic of sentences, so syntactic parsing. What is this sentence? Particularly demanding for English language learners. We might take that for granted when we're reading in our first language, but if you're reading in a second language, you're reading words, but you're also trying to figure out how those words fit into the grammar of a sentence. And so once I've decoded what we call the surface code, I need to create what fancy word propositional text base, but I just need to sort of summarize or paraphrase what is being said. And that's the first level of processing. I read it, so let me paraphrase, summarize. What's going on here? And then as I paraphrase those bits, I need to create a mental model. So what's the case? If I synthesize this information, what's happening in this novel? What's happening in this political event? What's happening in this IKEA instructions? What's the case? How does it all fit together? And if this is the case, what conclusions can I draw? What can I say about the purpose or in the intent of the text? And through that process, combining your background knowledge and rereading things to monitor comprehension, to say, am I getting this right? Is there a gap? Do I need to go research something else to, to fill sort of something that's missing? So being able to be very sort of skilled at understanding how to monitor comprehension. And then once if you've got it right, say, okay, if this is the case, what do I think? How do I respond and how do I react? Which is higher order skills. So you go from the lower order of just decoding and paraphrasing the text to examining how, what picture does it make? What conclusions can I draw? Am I missing anything? And what now do I think? What do I conclude? And so that's how I represent it also as the difference between the tip of the iceberg and what's under the surface. Something like a line here, two roads diverged in a yellow wood. 
I paraphrase it into, I've got this picture and two roads separated in the forest, a fork in the road. And once I have that picture clear, I say, okay, now I can go beneath the surface and say, well, what does that mean? In Western culture, we have a really strong association between roads as a symbol or a metaphor for life and the journey of life, and that a fork in the road is a major decision in that life. Now, that concept is not in the text itself. It's not in this line. It's relying upon the public language or the public, public associations with that concept, which is learnt not through decoding, but through our language, our collective language that we share with one another. So let's look at a different sentence. What if I read, she is like a witchetty grub? Which definitely I can decode, and I can even get a picture of she and witchetty grub. Now for meaning, I might use just association to say, oh, grub is a worm-like creature that digs in the ground, so maybe there's a negative association that... If she's like a witchy grub, that she's sneaky or, or um, uh, shy or, or, or any of those associated materials. But I might miss the meeting entirely because a witchy grub might be valued in a particular culture. And it might mean wise and protective and slow to judgment. But I might not understand that deeper meaning because I don't understand the background knowledge and the context and the public use of that concept in a particular community. Because reading comprehension is not guaranteed when someone has learned to decode. We can still say, I can read it, but I don't understand it. Do I know what it is, it is about? Am I part of the conversation? Can I follow the logic? Can I use my imagination? Do I know where to begin? What's the point? What is the test text asking me to do and how am I supposed to respond? Because meaning is used and it occurs as part of conversations and that conversation occurs between individuals with a certain amount of shared language and knowledge, experiences, purposes and expectations. And as teachers, we not only need to help kids become skilled at reading, but we also have to be able to initiate them and explain to them concepts uh, that are referred to in a text. And in many so's, we might have to refer outside of the text to clarify um, the ideas. And so this is where we get to another model. So although mastery, intensive orientation in the classroom contributes to motivation, particularly as kids can see that their words correct per minute for reading fluency are getting better and better and better, and that what they can spell becomes better and better and better, it's quite visual and clear to see one's improvement Students also need a content focus. They need to be use a what we can term as a comprehension canopy to read and write and speak and listen meaningfully. So a comprehension question might be a big question or an interesting topic or a key concept like freedom or justice or a useful or valued practice, or such as cooking, so reading recipe books and becoming a better cook. And that canopy needs to be involving things like speaking and exploring that topic together. It could be sustainability of the environment. And you have a series of picture books in which every picture book is about the concept of protecting natural habitats. And so we talk about why is it that animals should be respected. Let's read and view and experience 
that concept. Let's explore key vocabulary and concepts and explore language features along the way. Let's write and construct and represent our understanding of that big topic or that big question. Throughout that process, you're always discussing and forming knowledge and taking action and consolidating that cycle by reflecting upon what did I learn? What do I know now? What do I understand? What opinions have I developed? And what action do I want to take? Have I become passionate about the environment? Have I become passionate about using local produce, um, evaluating um, more native cooking practices. What is the topic and what have I learned through exploring it? And that's more about extensive practice that has facilitated from one's intensive development. So let's look at stages of reading development. Because how we teach and what we teach is heavily influenced upon where a learner is in their developmental journey. So there's a book that I do recommend, Proust and the Squid. It identifies five clear stages of learning. There's the emerging pre-reader, six months to six years old, in which the learner is being initiated into the concept of books, picture books being read to them, in which oral language is developing quite robustly, an awareness of phonemic awareness is really quite important in this period, as well as becoming aware of the alphabet and the role of letters. And what do letters do? They represent sounds. And how do we combine sounds into very simple but familiar words? And that is extended in that one-year period of the novice reader, in which in the first real uh, period of time that we're expecting readers to read simple books independently. And also in those simple books, being able to problem solve familiar but new words based around emerging phonics knowledge. Now, a lot of grunt work happens in the decoding reading stage between seven to nine or in grades two to three, because this is the stage in which we want children to consolidate their learning to read stage. So lots of practice on fluency, lots of practice on increasing spelling or orthographic knowledge, lots of practice on writing in about familiar topics. Because beyond that, in this 9 to 15-year-old stage, we assume that the reader is becoming more and more fluent and comprehending and reading to learn. And after that stage, we actually no longer talk about literacy because we assume that the person has the, the fundamentals and so we talk about content. We don't read, learn to talk about reading itself, but what's explored in being an expert reading in particular fields. So I do recommend you go to this website because that topic is elaborated upon in greater detail at the literacy bug. And so this diagram, which is quite complex, represents that movement of pedagogy across those stages. Because what's consistent is learners are acquiring the alphabetic principle, developing their phonological and phonemic awareness, learning words, using words, functioning with language, developing knowledge and thinking and reasoning, developing motivation and interests, and exploring environments and relationships through literacy. And so whilst the early stages includes elements of all 
of those components. If you go down with me, there you can see a line drawn in which is an assumption that the alphabet principle has been mastered. Phonological awareness has been mastered. One's learning words, but that's being sort of driven into the knowledge domain. So oral language is a key feature of the beginning stage, the pre-reading stage, becoming a decoder and a variety of shared and joint construction and emergent writing is a key feature of stage one. And then stage two, combining skilled fluent reading practice with, with sustained independent reading with writing workshops and reading workshops and theme or topic-based investigations are important. Whereas in stage three, this, those features are, remain, but you include multiple sp perspectives, learning through discussion and debate, until eventually you're looking at the more academic literacy. And so our pedagogy changes across that time. And we can see the products that children produce also indicative from texts that include lots of invented spelling to texts that become more sophisticated to the point in which one's writing is much more complex than their oral language and their writing in particular genres that represent a more written language than a written discourse that doesn't actually exist readily in oral language. So being literate is very different for the first grader, the fourth grader, and the high school student, and then the adult. When we say literacy in each of those contexts, we mean something a bit different. Or basically another way of putting it is if we say someone's good when they're in first grade, that's no longer adequate in the later grades. Our expectations change, and therefore our teaching changes along the way. And whilst word reading is the best predictor of reading comprehension in the early years, oh great, you've cracked the code, you're a good reader, other skills such as processing skills like applying background knowledge, inferring, summarizing, critiquing, these become more important predictors of reading comprehension later on as reading word reading abilities develop through experience. So the importance of different skills changes during the course of development. And so what our expectations are for grade K to one text, which is mostly about the child being able to decode and read with accuracy and fluency, changes when we're in later grades. In grade two to four, it's about extracting information, saying, what did I learn? Taking notes, summarizing and synthesizing texts. And in later years, it's about being able to read more academic material that's challenging, that's beyond the familiar, that requires one to both learn and look up academic words, but synthesize more complex content, as well as being able to interpret multiple types of information and develop their own opinions based upon close reading of text. And so here we have a revised model of the simple literacy. On one hand, got our constrained skills, phonological awareness, decoding, sight words, and fluency, leading into automatic word recognition. And then we have our language comprehension, which is made up of vocabulary, background knowledge, knowledge of sentence structures and text. But we're also learning different ways of reading. 
might start off with general purposes of reading, and then more specific, what questions do we ask when we're reading texts of different varieties, to being able to develop a knowledge of different strategies for extracting reading and becoming more strategic. So that third dimension is quite important, is one can read individual words, can comprehend the text, but they also become a bit more probing to get the most out of what they read. So literacy can be seen as dependent on instruction, with the corollary that the quality of instruction is key, and this view emphasizes the developmental nature of literacy and the passage of children through successive stages in literacy, and in each of which the reading and writing tasks change qualitatively, and the role of the instructor has to change accordingly. And that change is explored in more detail at this website on the literacy bug. So I do also recommend you to go further into that, that website. And so what that means is as a teacher, we need to serve the student. We need to know where they are in their development and cater our, our teaching to that developmental stage. Because as we grow with the learner, we can prepare them for more advanced literacy. But we also know that if we start at too high of a level, it will lead to frustration and disengagement. At the same time, we start at too easy of a level, it will also lead to disengagement and boredom. So we really need to know what's going to be the best instruction for that learner at the current stage of language, literacy, and conceptual development. Knowing that we can set goals for the future that are more challenging, but then we need to build towards those goals and scaffold towards that increased activity. So let's put all of this together. So here we have that simple view of literacy in a different way. Now I won't talk about the language modeling. Um, in the slides you can read in more detail how language development changes or evolves across the different age categories. But if we look at literacy development from a bottom-up perspective, Let's see it here. Assuming that one is developing language. So when developing language, then they develop their phonological and phonemic awareness. I know lots of language and words, but I can also break up those words into parts so I can attach letters to them when the time comes. And so I become, develop a concept of print, a concept of what a word is, and I can distinguish letters from words. Then I can recognize letters of the alphabet, and then I can learn letter-sound correspondences, and I can recognize familiar words. And I could put together familiar words based around my knowledge of letters and sounds. And that was what was represented here. I've got my phonological awareness, learning those sounds. As I learn those letters, I can put that word together. As represented before, by the Adams model. And so once I've achieved full phoneme segmentation, I can construct words, I can recognize words, and I can put those words into juicy, rich sentences. You know, the words fall into place in sentences. And so I'm focusing on composing as well as comprehending. And so with practice, my text can become more loose to becoming more sophisticated. 
and with comprehension, I can move through becoming more competent and skilled in decoding, becoming more accurate and detailed in my literal comprehension, drawing conclusions, and then drawing judgments. And you can use that as a taxonomy. Okay, Charles can decode that. They've summarized it accurately. We've had a discussion of what that means, and they've told me what they've thought. They're on the right track. And then you apply higher-order skills, including paraphrasing, summarizing, visualizing, representing, and clarifying ideas in our reading. And then synthesizing information from multiple texts, conceptualizing ideas and main themes across multiple texts, drawing together the information to draw predictions, to extend upon ideas, to react and respond and synthesize. What have I learned through that exam, uh, that uh, um, pursuit? And then going further to critically respond, to examine the ideas. Is there bias? To use the ideas, to act upon them, to analyze them, critique, debate, discuss, and judge. And so those higher skills can be represented here. Questions like, okay, what's the purpose of the text? What are the key questions that are being asked in it? What's the information that's been provided? And is it reliable? And based around that information, what interpretations or inferences can I draw? What are the key concepts? What are the assumptions that are being made in that text? And what are the implications or consequences of those assumptions? And do I know the point of view it's coming from? And based upon that point of view, how should I treat that information? Or in a more detailed manner, being able to ask questions like, what is my purpose in reading? What's my, what do I already know about this topic? What questions do I want to ask? Based on what I know so far, what I'm reading, what can I predict will happen? What can I visualize? Does this remind me of anything? And how would I summarize? And what position do I take? Do I agree with what's going on? Which character do I like the most? Forming interpretations. Being conscious of when one gets lost. Monitoring one's comprehension. When is something confusing? And what steps do I make to clarify that? And revising one's meaning. Stopping periodically and saying, actually... I've changed my opinion. And what's caused me to change my opinion? Is it something about the author's craft and their choices? Let's reflect upon what I've learned, what's the big idea, and what's conclusions I can draw, and let's evaluate. So those cognitive sentence starters are really valuable for that higher order level of reading comprehension. And so all of those are part of that reading journey from being able to access the text, to be able to literally understand the text, to be able to draw conclusions from it, and then deeply engage with the ideas therein. So therefore, literacy is componential. There's comp- components. It involves oral language, phonemic awareness, alphabetic knowledge, decoding skills, fluency, comprehension, composition, problem-solving learning, critical thinking, etc. It's cumulative. So the skills are built progressively over time through many opportunities to practice, refine, and extend one's knowledge. And it's transactional. We learn by engaging and negotiating meaning between one another. 
by discussing one text and using the knowledge of that text to discuss a different text, or to write a simple text and then write something a little bit more advanced at the prompting and the encouragement of, our, of adults or peers. So it's, it's, it's a social activity. Because an engaged reader and writer is one who is motivated. That's important. They're knowledgeable. They're strategic. They have a method to the madness. And they're socially interactive. If something's not clear, they'll ask a question. If something's really struck them, they'll talk about it. So the engaged reader and writer is viewed as motivated to write and read for a variety of purposes, is an active knowledge constructor, is an effective user of cognitive strategies, like those cognitive strategy-centered starters, and is a participant in social interaction. Even peer groups who become fans of Harry Potter, they become socially interactive, and they express opinions and interpretations of characters, and they encounter pushback from those who have a different viewpoint, and they learn how that different viewpoint is, is informed, and they realize that comprehension isn't really set in stone. We have to look at things from multiple perspectives to appreciate the bigger picture around learning and ideas. So here are some parting words. Every child scrawling his first letters on his slate and attempting to read for the first time, in doing so, enters a very artificial and most complicated world. It's artificial in the fact that living language suddenly becomes captured and squiggles on a page. And I have to learn how to unlock that living language through multiple practice and also learn to capture that living language through practice. And to be sure, decoding readers are skittish, young, and just beginning to learn how to use their expanding knowledge of language and their growing powers of influence to figure out text. Grueling at first, before it becomes automatic. However, through literacy, children are able to construct meaning, to share ideas, to test those ideas, and to articulate questions. So they have an active role in their own development. Writing is a way to refine our ideas and to capture memories. So what is important is to provide learners with the means and methods so they can organize their own behaviors. So we can want to encourage them to shape habits of exploring vocabulary and capturing new vocabulary and becoming word curious. Form habits of discussing ideas and asking questions, etc., because we are the species that reads and records and goes beyond what went before and directs our attention to what is important to preserve. What is it that we want to write about? What is it that I want to remember personally? What is it that we want to remember collectively? Historical personalities, important community events, important recipes, etc. And why do we commit those things to words? So, returning to our objectives... There are many components of literacy development. There are many stages of literacy development. And there are certain code-based skills and meaning-based skills to develop. And there are levels of processing texts or reading comprehension that represent deeper, increasingly deeper engagement with ideas. And we need to see learners as active participants, as people who are using literacy navigate meaning, to construct knowledge, to share ideas, and to become members of communities. So what does it really mean to be literate? And how does that meaning change at different points in time? 
And how do we make sure that literacy skills are consolidated? They don't sit isolated as merely components, but they're consolidated into meaningful practice. So thank you. Slides are available for download at the Literacy Bug. So please go there if you want to sort of access those slides. Some of the slides that have copyrighted material or material that you can source on your own by visiting websites are not included, um, but most of them are, are there. And also whilst you're there, visit the website. If you have a question, write us an email. If you saw this on YouTube, you know the YouTube channel's there. If not, the YouTube channel will have more and more resources in the future. And please follow us on Twitter. Because on Twitter, we do share our own resources, but also key resources in the sector from organizations like the International Literacy Association or lesson plan databases like Read, Write, Think.